It's a pleasure. It, it, it's, I'm so excited today because we have a very, very special guest. And he's a new friend of mine. Okay. Actually, we met through Pastor Jonas of, Victor, uh, of Every Nation Bangkok. Okay. He's a common friend. And he's the one who uh, introduced us. Um, Joshua Tongol is actually a, a missionary from the U.S. He's a Filipino-American. And he came here as a missionary. And... Um, he's going around churches equipping people in four different areas. Uh, firstly, in the grace of God, the radical grace of God. Secondly, it's on organic church, uh, apologetics. And number four, it's on healing, okay, which is why we're here today. Um, he actually graduated from the Talbot School of Theology of Biola University with theology as his bachelor's degree and um, systematic theology as his master's degree. Okay, but he, of course, he said his master's degree is from Jesus Christ. Okay, <laughs> so yun yung ano, yun yung importante, diba? How many of you believe that? Diba? <clears throat> so, um, in the very short time that we've corresponded, we've actually met together face to face, we've talked for hours, and we normally uh, text each other and uh, chat on the internet. Actually, in dami kong ano, dami kong natutunan sa kanya. How many of you were here? This morning, when we talked about the will of God. Yan. How about last week, uh, Saturday, when I talked about uh, true lordship? How many of you were there? Okay? These are some of the things I, I learned from him. Okay? So, um, he's, he's helped me a lot in terms of understanding uh, more and more the grace of God. Okay? And uh, Josh, I'd like to let you know that our, our church here is uh, really benefiting from, from what I learned from you. So... Um, today, partic- uh, in, in our particular, <clears throat> excuse me, particularly today, lagi akong kinakabahan pag introduction. He's going to talk to us about healing, especially from the perspective of the grace message. We've been talking about the grace message for months now. And personally, I believe in, I believe that God can heal. But honestly, in the past years, um, with all the weirdness out there and the spookiness and the flakiness pagdating sa ano yung mga kakaibang teachings pagdating sa healing medyo kuno pansin niyo medyo hands off ako even di, sa church hindi natin masyadong pinag-uusapan di ba yung healing until i encountered his messages on healing okay which were so biblical so non-weird <laughs> so so Talagang, when I heard it, especially, mommy, he's going to tell you his background on how he even, in his past, doubted healing himself. Okay? So, may, may common kami dun sa area nun. So, um, I could relate with a lot of what he said. Okay? So, sabi ko, when I, when I heard his message on healing, and particularly grace and healing, I said, I, I, I need to invite him here. Okay? We need to be equipped more. And one thing I really appreciate about him is that he's not like the typical healers, okay, who go around and it's personality driven. Everybody's dependent on him. It's, a, it's like a, it's a personality following, but not this man, okay? One thing I, I've seen him do in, uh, actually heard him do in 
Thailand and in his podcast, he, he actually goes around churches equipping people to actually do what he does. Okay? So it's not that I'm the holy anointed man of God come to me for healing. But later on, you're going to see, it's going to blow your mind away that what he's going to share is that you have access to exactly the same power because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Okay? So, I think, hindi ko natatagalan pa. I'll let him tell his story. Marami pa siyang kwento. Could we all give a warm Victory Kalamba welcome to Joshua Tongo. Hello? It's good? Yeah. Uh, well, good afternoon, everyone. <laughs> I'm not really used to sitting down, uh, sharing a sermon. I'll try to move this out of the way for you guys. Um, how many of you guys are familiar with our ministry? Is, raise your hand if you've seen some of our YouTube videos or our sermons or maybe 700 Club. Have some of you guys seen the 700 Club, stuff like that? So here you are, you're listening to a guy that still looks like this. And I'm doing healing today. So I'm going to share a little bit about my background. <clears throat> that just like Ernie, I didn't always believe in healing. And you're saying, Josh, why are you, why are you preaching healing and your hand still looks like that? Let me explain. Okay. So anyways, um, I'm just going to preach. I guess since I'm sitting down, I'm going to be more relaxed. Because <laughs> usually when I'm standing up, I'm really <laughs> like that. <laughs> you know, but, uh, but folks, I'm, I'm a missionary here. Obviously, I'm from the States. And I moved here when I was uh, what, 20-something years old. It was 2009. And uh, before I came to the Philippines, I already got this revelation about God's grace, <clears throat> about the finished work. It's funny that um, Pastor Ernie was asking me what my degrees were that I graduated with, and I just texted him on the way here, Jesus is my degree. It's just a joke. But my point was this, folks. The majority of the, that, the, majority of the things that I teach here and I preach here was not learned from Bible school. Okay? Am I against Bible school? Absolutely not. Okay? But what it does, God does not care about where you come from. He does not care if you're an intellectual or if you graduated from the top Bible schools in the country, he does not care. The only thing that he cares about is your heart. Now, does knowledge matter? Absolutely. Okay? Because you don't really love unless you have knowledge about that thing that you're loving, right? Or that person. What all, I'm, all I'm doing today is that I'm telling you what you already have. And that's knowledge. And then when you have this type of knowledge of the finished work and this new covenant message that everything was provi- provided for, you will live a certain way. Now, Pastor Ernie has been telling me, that this message of grace has been very liberating. Why? Because ideas have consequences. And I've been going, and I've, I've been raised up in the church, folks, where I grew up in the church. I did youth ministry. I was a pastor for several years. I was an evangelist for several years. And, you know, in some ways, a lot of those things moved my attention away from God and just focused on ministry. And I didn't really have God's heart. And I didn't even have the power you know, we, you know, we read this book that has a lot of miracles, right? I didn't see any of that stuff <laughs> growing up. I just do church ministry, man. We do youth groups, <laughs> things like that. But folks, if you guys know in your Bible, there's an Old Testament and then there's a New Testament. It's also called the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. I really wish in between your Bible, in the middle of that page between the Old and the New, I wish there was a picture of Jesus there. Do you know why? Because if you see that Jesus was that focal point, to understand the whole Bible. Folks, people tell you to read your Bible. They don't teach you how to read your Bible. 
Just read, 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 read. And they're reading it with an old covenant lens. What do I mean by covenant? Covenant is the way God dealt with people. It's the way God relates to you and the way you relate to God. Right? You know, I was speaking to a good friend of mine. This is not to make him look bad, but I could see on how false ideas affected the way he views God. Because he was saying, there are times where I feel far from God. I've received a lot of messages on Facebook. Kuya, you know, I, I feel bad that I did all these things. Is God mad at me? I wish I could draw closer to God. I said, why are you even using that kind of language? You won't find any of that language in the Bible at all. But are we familiar with that language, folks? I know I am. I want to draw closer to God. Folks, you are seated in heavenly places with Jesus Christ. He now sits at the right hand of the Father, and the Bible says that now you are in Him. How close do you want to get? But if you just tell somebody that you're already close like this, that you and Christ are one, that's the whole message of the new covenant, that God is not just with you, he's in you now. So wherever you go, he's there. You don't have to wait for his presence to go there. Wherever you go, he goes. And you think, well, Josh, but God needs to move and do all these things in this world. You are his hands. You are his feet. That's how much responsibility that God has given us to make an impact on this world. Because if there are things that you do, that will make an impact on this world, and there are things that you don't do, which is why a lot of things are still messed up in this world. Okay, and everyone's putting the responsibility on God when God says, I am now in you now. Go. Okay, and after this seminar or sermon, whatever you want to call it, okay, you're going you're to you're have a shift of thinking where you're going to stop asking God for things, and you're going to start doing what he's already told you to do. Okay? It's going to be kind of awkward. It's going to be kind of weird, but I'm going to teach you guys to do healing, and you're not going to learn to ask God for healing anymore. Isn't that kind of weird? <laughs> okay, and what do, don't worry. I'm, these are called blanket statements, but I'm going to explain these things later on. There is not anywhere in the Bible, aside from Acts chapter 4, where you see someone praying for healing in the New Testament, where the disciples were saying, God, consider the persecution against us. Stretch forth your hand and heal. But other than that, folks, you will never find people saying, God, can you please heal so-and-so of cancer? Can you please heal so-and-so of blindness or deafness? How did they heal in the Bible? Command. And why did they command? Because the authority that they had. And I'm telling you, folks, I've studied this healing stuff for many years. And I'll be honest with you, folks. I've read probably almost the majority of the books that I could grab my hands on when it comes to healing. Majority of them are wrong. Majority of them are wrong. Okay, now let me give you a bit of my background, okay? <laughs> uh, <clears throat> just like many of you, I grew up in the church. And I don't notice anyone that's similar to me in the way they were born, but since I was born like this, I struggled a lot. Okay, when you're a kid, you get teased a lot. Okay, kids could be jerks, okay? I'm just going to talk like myself, okay? These are mostly young people. So the older ones, just bear with me, okay? This is just how I talk. So when I was growing up, it was very hard. And I would go to many healing crusades, you know, like Benny Hinn and all these names and Morris Cerullo. These are the times during my generation, okay? And uh, we would try to go, I would try to get healed. And every day I would cry. I'm like, God, just please, please. Isn't it funny that you have to beg God? <laughs> you have to question that now, right? But when I was a kid, I'm like, God, please heal me. And I would try to wake up each day asking God to heal me. And then I would wake up and look at my hand still and I would just wake up crying again. You know, and honestly, it really messed up my 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 sense of identity, like my, I didn't feel like I was good looking. I really felt like girls wouldn't like me. I'm going to be honest, okay? And I was dead wrong, okay? <laughs> That's a joke. <laughs> That's a joke, okay? But anyways, let me introduce you to my beautiful wife. We just got married a couple months ago. Remy, stand up. Come on now. 
Uh, and I, I praise God. Her, you know, her name is Remedios, which means medicine or like healing in a way, you know. And I liked it because when she met me, uh, she didn't really know much about my healing ministry. So I really felt that connection that she just didn't like me because I'm a minister, you know, stuff like that. So I really praise God for my wife. Uh, but anyways, back to my story. Like I was growing up with that kind of mindset where I grew up in something called the uh, Assemblies of God denomination where you believe in the supernatural gifts of the Spirit, right? But I was also, our church was also inclined to something called the Word of Faith. And the Word of Faith movement were people that would usually be associated like Kenneth Hagin, Kenneth Copeland. These are the ones that you speak things into existence, right? Prosperity. They call it the prosperity gospel at times, some critics especially. And so we were doing all that, confessing, confessing, confessing. You speak things into existence. There's power. There's a force of faith in that sense. And then it wasn't until I was 17 years old, I transferred schools. And because I was a really dumb guy, okay, I did a lot of stupid stuff. So I transferred schools my senior year of high school. Could you believe that? And you have to start over and make new friends in one year and graduate with a you know, group of people. So I started over. And then I heard a famous healer was in town, Benny Hinn. I'm not bashing Benny Hinn, okay? I'm just, this is my story. So everyone's like, Josh, go to this crusade in, in California, in Anaheim. And get healed. Benny Hinn's in town. So I was so confident. I said, you know what? I'm going to come back with two hands when I go to that crusade. I told all my friends. I even told my friends that I never even talk about my hand about. Right? I would say, I'm going to come back with two hands. Just watch. I even brought my non-Christian friends. My, you know, people that weren't believers to go with me to this big event. And so they could see my God heal. So there I was crying. Jesus heal me. I never lift up my hands. Okay? I was that self-conscious. Okay? And there I was, I was crying out to God, please, God, like, really bad, okay? I, you know, this is the day, right? I was re- getting really nervous, you know? And then nothing was happening. And I got really hurt. And I told my friends, I was crying, I said, take me to the stage, <laughs> let that guy lay hands on me. Maybe something's going to happen, you know, like the anointed man touches you, something's going to happen. So anyways, we were going down. There are thousands of people ahead of me. And then Benny Hinn says, come back tomorrow, you know, to everybody, of course, you know. And then I was so discouraged. I'm like, okay, you know, I'm going to come back tomorrow because it's a, I guess it's a two-day event. I forgot. And so I went back the next day. And then, of course, obviously, as you can see, I didn't get healed. So when that happened, that really messed me up, folks. See, so for my whole life, I prayed for healing and I still kept going even though I didn't get healed. But that point when I was 17 years old really messed me up. At that point on, folks, I stopped praying for healing. And if I ever did pray for healing, I never expected anything to ever happen because I became a pastor. Of course, pastor, can you please pray for me? Like, yeah. But in my head, I'm like, go to the doctor. <laughs> you know, I, just, I was, I was you know, serving at a pa- uh, Baptist church. Very conservative. That's not really into healing, right? And then I got into something called apologetics, okay? Because, you know, you got to learn how to defend your faith, right? Um, so what, if you're not familiar with apologetics is how to defend your faith, the majority of North American apologists or intellectual defenders are not into the charismatic scene. And I'm pretty aware of that because I'm pretty familiar with the theologians in our country. Because of that, I was so influenced by their work, I became very critical of the charismatic scene. I don't care where you're from, if you're a Pentecostal, Assemblies of God, Foursquare, Word of Faith, Vineyard, I hated it. Like, I hated it with a passion. Number one, I didn't get healed. So I have my experience, right? That does God really heal today? Now, theologically, I would tell people, of course God heals. But every time I would hear, hear of a miracle, I was very skeptical. Right? I was like, give me the documentation. Oh, someone raised someone from the dead. Well, I'm, I'm not hearing it all over the news. 
I was really like that. So I attended Biola University, and I even converted people that were uh, charismatics and Pentecostals. I converted them to become what we call cessationists, or what we call open but cautious, where they no longer believed in the gifts, or they were skeptical of the gifts, the supernatural gifts. Right? Because when I was growing up, folks, you know what I saw growing up in my church? I just saw people falling down. Have you seen that? We call that slain in the spirit. We had holy laughter. Our church was really influenced by the Toronto blessing in the mid-90s where there were some people from Toronto, Canada. They brought the holy laughter, the drunkenness. They act like they're drunk, you know? And so when I was starting philosophy and theology, of course, that looks very stupid. It looks more like a cult. You know, like you don't want to invite your your you know, non-Christian friends to this church are like, man, why is everyone wiggling on the ground? <laughs> Folks, even at Bible studies, people would manifest. And I'm not even exaggerating. It's weird. I actually saw, see more in the States than here. I thought I would see more here because, <laughs> you know, we're very much into like supernatural stuff here, right? But in the States, folks, like there are people that are just like constantly jerking their bodies like this, you know, stuff like that. I would see people speaking in tongues, but I never really saw so anyone get healed. Yet every church that I would go to growing up is like, Oh God, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. God heals. Where is the healing? Okay, that slaining in the spirit falling down doesn't look supernatural. That looks weird, okay? Yeah, people speaking in tongues, you can make that up. You just say banana backwards, right? Especially that's how I was taught. So you just say something, just say Jesus, blah, la 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 That's called manipulation, folks, okay? And so just like, that's why we could relate because we get so skeptical because... Even non-believers are getting turned off by that. So how does that draw people to God, right? Now, am I against those things? Actually, I'm not. I'm open to God can do whatever he wants. But with that framework that I had, where I'm very skeptical, it wasn't very convincing for me to believe that the very supernatural things are happening today. Maybe just in Africa, okay? Especially not in the States. We're just like science, 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 right? You're science, right? (laughs) Look what science did to you. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) Right? We're very influenced by naturalism. So anyways... I'll make a long story short so I could equip you guys. So what happened to me in 2006, I met a guy named William Beeson. Check out his book. It's called The Impossible Miracle. He came to speak for my school on, about the power of the kingdom. This guy, they would call him the modern-day Job. Okay? What happened is that in your back, you have, of course, you have vertebrae, right? And your spine. And in between each vertebrae are discs. They ruptured. Okay? So several of them ruptured. So what did he do? He had to get surgery. When you have one surgery, folks, you're never the same. I don't know if any of you have had surgery before. He had five surgeries. Because every time they put like this type of artificial disc in his back, it still slipped out of his, you know, the vertebrae. So what it does, it, it creates a lot of pain in your body. Oh, I need to backtrack a little bit. So during this time that I was skeptical, that was eight years he was from 17 years old, eight years, and I was already going to Bible school. Let me tell you what happened to my body. Number one, I had, I, I'm a breakdancer, okay? It's kind of weird, right? But I'm a breakdancer. You guys are breakdancing, right? Spinning on your head, okay? All that stuff. And so what happened is that I injured my body at a debut. You guys know what debuts are. You're Filipino. So I was at a debut, and we were something, you know, battling. You're battling. You're competing with somebody. <laughs> so I was trying to be all bad. I was mayabang, okay? <laughs> I was trying to be cool. So I'm breakdancing. And then I get up from the ground, everything below my waist got numb and extremely painful. And then I didn't know what happened. So the whole night, I was just like in so much pain, I was crying. And I didn't know what happened. So some of you nurses here, if you're a nurse, I had something called a herniated disc, okay, or a sciatica. So just imagine this. I learned this when I got my injury. Here's your spine. Here's your vertebrae. In between each vertebrae is a disc. Now what happened is that my discs slipped out. 
So my disc would pop out. It, gets, it bulges out because it's getting crushed. And it would touch something called your sciatic nerve. I hope I'm saying this right. I just looked this up, okay? It touches your sciatic nerve. And because it's a nerve problem, it shoots down to your body. And so you know when it hurts? It hurts when I laugh. It hurts when I sneeze. It hurts when I cough. Right? Anything. And so imagine when you're laughing, you're like, ha, ha, ah. You know, it's like, you can't even laugh. And I'm a really goofy guy. And I'm like, ah, this sucks, man. You know, so there I was. I can't even break dance. But now I can even hardly walk. You know, like, literally, I literally walk like an old person like this. And I would literally cry from the library at my university to get to my dorm. I would carry my laptop. And I would literally cry carrying my laptop just to get to my dorm. I shake. My legs are like jelly. And I'd be like, God, please help me. Please help me. This hurts. This hurts. I didn't know anything about healing. I was skeptical at that time, right? I'm like, God, why are you doing this? I'm a pastor, you know. I had that kind of mentality. So this is what happened. And at the same time, I also had a condition called GERD. Now, this is weird. I never heard of it until I was diagnosed with it. It's called gastroesophageal reflux disease. So now you know in your stomach there's a tube, right? You know, sometimes you have, I don't know how to say, suka, suka, throw up. How do I say it right, okay? Don't make fun of me, okay? <laughs> so, you know, you could sometimes taste your throw up in your mouth, right? It's like a maasim, right? <laughs> okay? And so basically the tube in my throat doesn't shut. And so basically, it just keeps coming up in my mouth. And folks, I had chest pain and heartburn every day. Because I had an attack one night that I thought it was a heart attack. I literally thought it was a heart attack. My left side got numb. And then uh, I had to go to the house, and I, was, I just literally thought I was going to die. That whole night, like 3 in the morning, I'm like, Dad, take me to the hospital. They're like, we don't have money, blah, blah, blah. My mom's making me take all this medicine, so I found out that I was diagnosed with GERDs, GERD. And the doctor said it was extremely bad. It was very high or something like that. And so from that, before that, folks, I don't get heartburn, okay? It's weird. I don't get heartburn. But from that point, I had it every day. Chest pain and heartburn and sour taste and a chalky taste in my mouth every day. If I ever eat anything acidic like ketchup or soda or oily foods, my mouth gets messed up. So there I was still, you know, I guess I, could, I wanted to be healed, but I wasn't getting better. The next thing you know, I meet this guy, Willie. Okay, I had to share that background. So I'm listening to Willie, and like I said, Willie was a modern-day Job. And so what happened is that he had five surgeries, he had to get two more, he had no pulse, no blood flow in his left leg, so he was going to get one of his legs amputated. Okay, so when you have five surgeries and you're bedridden 22 hours a day, you're going to go from big, because he was very meaty, healthy guy, he was very payat. He was really, 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 really scrawny, right? Because you're bedridden for 22 hours, right? And so what happened is that he was taken to a church... I'll make a long story short. He was taken up to heaven one day. He was in his bed, just journaling. Next thing you know, it's like an out-of-body experience. It's kind of like Paul. Paul says, was it out of, you know, out of the body or inside the body? We do not know. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Okay, so people can experience things like this. William Beeson was all of a sudden taken to heaven. It was very physical, just like this. And of course, us Bible theological students are like, what did heaven look like? What did Jesus look like? You know? And so he was trying to explain this. It's not a dream. It's just as physical as I'm looking at you guys right now. And, you know, we're wondering, is like, are there streets of gold? He's like, yeah. But in fact, almost everything was translucent gold. And I saw these people wearing white robes and things like that, and they actually did have literal trumpets. Some people take those things literal, uh, figuratively or metaphorically, but he literally saw this happen. So here he was. He was walking down with this guy that was standing next to him. You know who it was? Jesus Christ. Now, all of us is like, what did he look like? This is the way he described Jesus Christ. He said, all you see is a glow 
but you could actually see his eyes. If you ever read books of people that have been to heaven or seen Jesus, they all say the same thing about Jesus. Now, notice this. William Beeson was not like a very serious believer at this time. He will be what you consider a backslider. Okay, I don't even use that term anymore, but that's just how people understand. So he's not really religious type. So he saw Jesus, and then all of a sudden he's walking down this road, and he sees these two huge pillars that don't, they don't meet in the middle, but these two huge pillars with a big gate, and behind this big gate is a huge city. Are you guys familiar with that in the book of Revelation? What's that called? The New Jerusalem. Now here's what I like about Willie. He said, was that the New Jerusalem? I don't know because I didn't even know what the New Jerusalem was until after I had this experience. I read it in the Bible afterwards. You guys get that? So for me, that gave him more credibility because then he didn't read it in the Bible first and then project it in his mind. You guys get that? So here I was listening to this guy. I never believe heaven stories, folks, never. But he had this healing that happened where Jesus looked at him and said, Willie, the devil's work on you is done. You will be 100% healed, restored to your youth. Next thing you know, he's back in his bed. He was trying to tell his wife what happened. The wife thought he was on too much morphine, okay, because of the pain. Okay, so he went to go, he just went to bed. He didn't know what happened. The next day he wakes up, he gets out of bed, no pain. That's already a miracle, no pain. He starts walking, no pain. He runs a mile, screaming, no pain, saying, I am healed, I am healed. God is real, God is real. So here I was, I hear this guy share. And for the first time in eight years, I believe this miracle because he brought in all the documentation from a school called UCLA. Are you familiar with UCLA? And also from documentation from Germany. And I couldn't explain his miracle. So I approach Willie and I just tell him about my back. I didn't tell him about my hand or anything like that. I just told him about my back. So Willie says, give me your email. I'll contact you. He contacts me the next day. He gives me a website of a charismatic church, a church that believes in the gifts of the Spirit. <clears throat> Now you'll know how my personality was at time. The moment I saw healing and generational curses on the front page, I was already annoyed. I'm like, ah, oh, man, it's one of these charismatic churches. You know, but I'm reading these stuff. Yeah, they have a healing service every month. And they're like, headache went away. And I'm like, big deal. <laughs> a headache, man. That's called mind over matter, right? Psychosomatic, okay? You know, there's power in the mind, folks, okay? And then they were talking about cancer being healed. I'm like, oh, that's, that's pretty good. I've heard stories like that before. Then they talked about arms growing out arms growing out you know that was new for me then i was getting really thrown off and then i got so confused i i, I went to the prayer chapel right after at my school and for the first time in eight years my desire to be healed came back okay and i was literally crying like a baby for the first time folks because everyone would just tell me josh you're going to be healed in heaven you know blah 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 don't worry about it folks and then all of a sudden i went on this journey for several years, and I read every book that I could find on healing, and I went to every healing conference I could find, and I met, like, all the famous people that you read in your healing books. I don't know if you guys read healing books. I probably met them, and I would ask him all these questions, and then I got invited to a ministry called the Vineyard Church. The Vineyard Church was a movement that was led by John Wimber. At least he was one of the pioneers. John Wimber, well, they call him one of the leaders of the signs and wonders movement in the world, and then it went internationally. That Vineyard Church got a hold of my story. And they asked me to be part of what they call a healing room. So just think of a hospital, right? When there's an emergency room, what do you do? You take them to the emergency room. When someone's getting all bloodied up or whatever, they need surgery. What they did at this church with the healing room is that they would have someone with a sickness or a disease. They would bring them to our room and we would lay hands on them. Then they would get healed. I was trained under the vineyard for a while where I was operating. And for that first time, I started to see miracles for the first time. Okay? And I remember, folks, this is how you know how simple God is. 
where you don't have to beg. I was chilling on the soccer field with Jesus. Okay, I was talking to the Lord. I said, God, if you're really doing this healing stuff, show me. But if you're not doing these things, a lot of people will make fun of me at my school because we make fun of the Christian channel. It's called TBN, okay, the Trinity Broadcasting Network. You know what we call it? The Blasphemy Network, okay? That's what we, we, we really just think of oh, those people with big hair, they're asking for your money, they have gold chairs. Why do they need that, you know? Where does our money go? Stuff like that. We had that mentality. So from that prayer, folks, I started praying for the sick, and then I started to see healing for the first time. Then all of a sudden, every person I would pray for in the beginning, I would feel heat or electricity or things would shoot out, and that was very new for me. Like, I heard of that. I'm not saying you need that, but something was going on with me for the first time. And I was already a pastor at that time. So from that point on, I started changing my sermons and started talking about healing at this Baptist church. <laughs> and then I started getting in trouble a lot, okay, because they were very concerned. I'm not saying Baptists don't believe in healing, but a lot of them don't, okay? And so, like I said, I continued this journey, and then I said, you know, I started doing like a healing ministry and stuff like that. And I'm telling you, folks, I'm not going to mention any names here. I'm not going to mention any ministries here, but when, I, when I'm going to describe a typical gathering to you, ministries and names might come to mind. I'm not trying to make them look bad, okay? But how many of you, and I'm not pinpointing your church or any, this is just in general. How many of you have been to a gathering? It's usually they call them revival gatherings, okay? And usually at these revival gatherings, people will get down on their knees crying to God, God, repent for the nation. And you need to cons- consecrate yourself. And you'll have all these ministers, these famous ministers, prophetic ministers from all over the world. They're always going to say, God is doing a new thing. God's releasing this fresh anointing. God is releasing a brand new power of spirit for arts and media and this and that and blah, blah, blah. God, there's going to be a greater prophetic anointing. There's going to be a greater healing anointing. Are you guys familiar with that? Folks, with this new covenant thing that I'm going to teach you today. You could throw that all out. Throw that all out. That's garbage. Folks, you'll go to these gatherings where people will say, God's doing a new thing. They say that every year. God's going to pour out more of his spirit. Folks, God already poured out his spirit 2,000 years ago at Pentecost. Now, you will live out what you believe. So when you believe that you're always in lack, you'll always try to ask for more. And if you pray for someone and they don't get healed, you're going to feel like you don't have enough. Now, I'm not telling you to get more. I'm going to tell you what you already have, and I probably know yourself more better than you know yourself because I'm going to point you to who you are in Christ. You're not going to learn anything from me in the sense of I'm not going to lay hands on anybody today, okay? You're not going to receive any impartation stuff of power. Throw that all out. That's not Bible, okay? That's in the Bible, but that's not called Christian. That's not New Covenant. Okay, all that stuff in the Old Testament, it's there. Elisha, you know, Elijah, Elijah, all the anointing and all that double part, that's there in the Old Testament. But what did Christ say on the cross? It is finished. Everything was provided for you 2,000 years ago on the cross. Prosperity, healing, okay, all of these things. Now, folks, here's what happened. I was healed. My back, thing's gone. I forgot to mention that. I always forget to mention that in my sermon. It's so funny. So everyone's like, so how's your back? Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention that. That disappeared several years ago. Okay, I was even thanking God the other day because I was carrying a heavy backpack with my computer on Friday. And I was thinking about the days when I couldn't even do that. It's gone. My girds, gone. 
one, some of my Filipino nurse friends said, Josh, you should be on pills the rest of your life because it was that severe, my GERD that I had, that condition that I had. I eat whatever I want. And Filipino food, man, oil stuff, man, okay? I could eat all that. Okay, I love Filipino food, okay? <laughs> right? I give all glory to God. Now look at my hand. Josh, why, why is your hand still like that? I'm not going to say I don't know. I'm not going to say it's because it's God's perfect timing. I don't believe in that. Here's my answer for now. We all have our own battles. Okay? Let me tell you one of the things that have been challenging for me, because I've never seen anything like this healed before. Did you know that later on, when we do healing later, you're going to see me do healing? When you see me do it, you're going to be encouraged to do it because you've seen it done. You know that makes a big deal when you could see somebody do it? But if you've never seen anybody do it, it's a little bit intimidating. Okay? I'm telling you that every single person in this room has faith. Here's the problem. You could have faith and you could have doubt at the same time. Faith and doubt can coexist at the same time, right? You heard that man in the New Testament, I believe, but help my unbelief. What you want to do is that as I'm going to be teaching you this new covenant, I'm going to be removing that doubt from your mind so your faith will be strong. Okay? And I'm not going to be pointing you to me, right? I'm going to be pointing you to what you already have, but you probably didn't know that you already had it. But what I'm going to be doing first is that I'm going to be destroying something called sacred cows. A sacred cow is basically like anything. It's an idea or an institution that's really held up high up here, and no one challenges it. I'm going to take certain statements that you might have been taught growing up in the church, and I'm going to destroy those sacred cows and show you that, that it's not biblical. Are you guys okay? You guys ready for this? Okay, now I'm going to go home tired, <laughs> okay. right? Uh, but folks, please understand my heart. Now, Kuya Ernie, Pastor Ernie, knows a little bit of my background. There's a lot of churches here that really misunderstand my heart with this grace thing. What you guys are doing is very radical. Do you know that? This grace message, whether you're Catholic or born-again Protestant, it's radical for both camps. And so my ministry, our group here has suffered a lot. And so that's why I, I would encourage you that as I'm sharing tonight, really listen to what I say, and please don't take it out of context. Okay, because I've had a lot of people take this up that I say out of context, and then they take it to an extreme. You want me to show you how scary it's been? They'll tell me, you know what I've been called here? I've been called a heretic. Have you heard of that before? I've been called a false teacher here. I'm here to scare you guys a little bit, okay? I've been called a cult leader here, Okay. So yeah, we, I joined, you joined a cult. No, I'm just joking. No. <laughs> Folks, I'm not a cult. I, I even challenged the people. I said, look at all these people throwing the word cult around. They don't even know how to define the word cult, okay? Folks, call me whatever you want. God calls me son, okay? And I believe that what I'm teaching is from the Bible, so I'm not just giving you like I had this special esoteric experience where God showed me. No, no, no. I, I, it's in, look at it like, like this. I will offend some of you guys. You know why? Not on purpose in a way. But because you're going to be hearing things that will challenge your self-effort, what you've done in the past. I will offend some of your guys' mindsets, but I believe that everything that I'm going to say, you already have it here. But you know where it's going to offend? Up here. Because of the traditions of man have been so ingrained in the typical Christian mind that it's not from Bible, it's the traditions of man. That's why we... Folks, if the gospel is so good, why do you always have to force people to read your Bible? If the gospel is so amazing, why are we afraid of God that he's going to punish us or he's always judging us when we do something stupid? 
Why are all these people that they go to church and all of a sudden they're hearing the preacher talk, all of a sudden they don't want to go to church anymore because they feel like they can't live up to the expectations? Folks, is that called good news? The good news is that Christ did it all. You don't have to do anything. Josh, this grace message is going to make us lazy. Now, man, if you understand this grace message, you'll be probably doing more than other people. And in fact, you're doing it with the right motive this time. Folks, can you agree that when you do good, there are probably three main reasons why you do good. Because you have to. Out of guilt. Or you'll do it out of religious obligation. I think the majority of the people do those two. Religious obligation or guilt. But here's a third one. God, you do the good things that you do. Why? Because you love to. Because you want to. That's how you know that you're a new creation. That's why you know you don't do things out of condemnation or guilt or shame, but you do it not because of a sense of right or wrong, but because you have the heart of God. And the wrong gospel has been preached in many churches today. It's been a mixture where they use the word grace there, but law is introduced there. Okay, if you don't want to heal, don't heal. But I can guarantee you, if you really have the heart of God, you will do healing. Okay, you will do healing. Okay, now let me share a little bit. Look at the Bible, folks. When you go to many churches today, what do you hear? You just hear someone preach from a pulpit. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says what? For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Now, in order to be a good pastor today, what do you have to do? You have to be a good speaker. I'm telling you, man, even if you suck at speaking, you'll get their attention. How? Signs and wonders. When you demonstrate the kingdom of God, right? But nowadays, you have to be a good speaker if you want to be a pastor. I'm not against good speaking. But I'm saying, folks, don't think, look at Corinthians chapter 2. Paul says, I didn't come with eloquence. I didn't come with persuasive words. But I came with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith may not rest on the wisdom of man but on God's power. Folks, we just prayed for a Muslim the other day in an army. I'm not not supposed to say Okay, We prayed for a soldier, though. I had no idea what his background was. Did you know that you could never debate with a Muslim? They're always going to argue back. (laughs) Okay, That's just the way they were trained. We prayed over this Muslim. His right eye was bloodshot red. He said he could not really see. We prayed over him, got better. You know what he saw? He saw a figure, a man, wearing a white robe. And all of a sudden, he could see. You know what he kept saying? Correct me if I'm saying it wrong. He's like, Isa, Isa. And the, my translator was saying, he thinks it's Jesus the prophet. I said, tell him it's Jesus God. He was healed. And then at that service, at this place, he even testified when I wasn't there about his miracle that he saw Jesus Christ. Folks, you don't need to argue people into the kingdom. Okay? Demonstrate. Love. Isn't it interesting, folks? I could be teaching you on healing, but you won't really be convinced until I show you something. Right? And isn't that the good thing about Christianity, that we're not all words, but we demonstrate? Okay? And the cool thing is, you guys will demonstrate. Okay? Every single one of you, if you want to, because that's what it's meant to do. Now, I'm going to go through some of these things that... I'm going to, this is going to be kind of challenge, challenging, but it's going to be very liberating. Oh, by the way, like I said, my, my friend Willie, miraculously healed. Go buy his book. Okay. Um, here's the first one that I want to go through. I've been to a healing crusade. Now, imagine you're sick, okay? Now, you go to a healing crusade to see a faith healer, right? We call them faith healers. You could go to the priests here in the Philippines. Now, imagine you go to them to get healed because they have the gift. 
Now all of a sudden you go to them, they pray over you, and then you don't get better. Some of them will say to you what? You didn't have enough faith. Have you heard that? Okay. Now, now notice how weird that sounds. Okay, you're the sick one. You go to a faith healer because he has the faith, okay, and he has the gift. He prays over you, but you don't get healed. He blames you for not having faith. Is there something kind of ironic there? You know what that does to the healer? It takes the responsibility off of him or her. You guys get that? Now, isn't it interesting that Jesus never depended upon a person's faith? Okay? That just sounds like a cop-out. Oh, I prayed for you. Oh, you didn't get it. It's your fault. You didn't have faith. Okay? I'm here to tell you, throw that one out. There is nowhere in the Bible where it tells you to, that you need someone to have faith with you. How do I know this? Folks, how do you raise a dead person? Did Jesus go up to Lazarus and be like, Lazarus, do you have faith in there? Okay, I need some help. What did he do? Raise them up. Get up. Making sense? It's just called common sense, folks. Okay, if you have a baby that is born sick, do you go to the baby and be like, goochie, goochie, goo? <laughs> you know, you need some faith in there. They don't even have the rational faculties to make a decision, folks. You guys getting this? Can you heal an unbeliever? An unbeliever? Absolutely. That's one of the ways that the gospel was demonstrated in the New Testament, right? First are signs and wonders, and people came around and surrounded Jesus. But how do you heal an unbeliever if he doesn't even have faith? Now, we just healed a girl from CCF the other day at Mega Mall. Okay? What you guys are going to do, I'm going to help you guys have the mindset, do this wherever you go. Don't just do this in a church building. Do it wherever you go. Now, she could have been an unbeliever, this girl from CCF. I didn't know who she was. We actually, actually scared her away because I saw her walking by folded and hung. You know that store? Okay, so this girl was limping like really bad, and she had a huge bandage on her toe. She had sandals on, chinelas, okay? So I, my, my wife was talking to a cashier lady because they were just talking about something, an event. So I didn't want this lady to leave, so I followed her. I said, excuse me, excuse me, uh, what happened to your foot? She went, no, 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 no. She got really scared of me, okay? So I felt kind of dumb, like, man. So I called my wife over, and I called my wife, and we prayed over her. And then I said, watch this. I don't even have to say anything. Just give me your hand. She gave me her hand. I didn't even say, be healed. I didn't say any of that. I said, watch this. Step on your foot. What happened? She, the moment she stepped her foot, put pressure. It's gone. The pain's gone. Her foot disappeared too. No, I'm joking. Her pain is gone. Okay? <laughs> She's like, whoa! No, 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 no. I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. You know, but the pain was gone. That only happened in a couple of seconds. Because I'm trying to show people that faith is not about a formula. It's not about the right words in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Folks, I could even show you healing where you don't even say in Jesus' name. Okay, now that's going to be kind of offensive to some people. I'm not against saying in Jesus' name. But folks, when people did healing, it's not about saying in Jesus' name. It's the fact that you came in his name. Okay? So, of course, that when we heal without saying in Jesus' name, we are healing in his name, and then we point them to Christ. But, folks, there's no formula. The only thing you need to do is believe. Okay? Now, folks, if she was an unbeliever, but she wasn't, she's from CCF, she said. If I said, all right, I'm going to pray for your foot, do you believe? No, I'm not a Christian. Sorry, I can't pray for your foot. You don't have faith. You need faith to help me. See that? Folks, if you could understand that the only faith that you need is your faith. Somebody needs faith, okay? I'm not saying you don't need any faith at all. If the person you're praying for doesn't have faith, then you have faith for them. 
Now, if you notice, Jesus only rebuked people that were trying to heal and they couldn't do it. Like the boy, the epileptic boy that had the seizures, the disciples couldn't heal the boy. He said, why couldn't we cast this demon out of the boy? Right? So he rebukes those who are trying to heal, but they couldn't heal. He didn't rebuke the ones that were sick, okay? And he commended those who had the faith for somebody else. Like who? The Roman centurion, right? The Seraphonician woman, the Canaanite woman. So he commends those, but for those who are sick, he doesn't ask you if you have faith. He'll have faith for you. Now, doesn't that make you more confident when you could enter any healing gathering, like any gathering of people that needs healing? You don't need to go to each one. Do you have faith? You, okay, let's do this. But you could just go boom, 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 boom. And you could do it because you have the faith. This is making sense so far? Okay? If there's any questions, you just ask me, all right? I don't, I don't mind. This is kind of chill. Okay? So with that, somebody needs faith. If they don't have faith, then you have faith for the other person. Amen? Now, the next one would be, a sick person can stop you from healing. Now, when I spoke at another church one time, they said, what about Mark chapter 6? Now, you guys have your Bibles. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. This is one of the verses that a lot of people try to challenge me with. Mark chapter 6, verse 5 and 6. Okay, are you guys there? I'm sure a lot of you guys know this story. Here's what Jesus says. Can someone turn off the fan? It keeps blowing my Bible. <laughs> it's all good. You guys can point it to yourselves. You know, feel cool. Okay, here's what Jesus says in Mark chapter five or Mark chapter six, verses four through six. It says, Jesus said to them, Only in his own hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house is a prophet without honor. Now notice verse five. He could not do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Now, who has a KJV? Who has a KJV? Now, yours things would say he was not able to do any miracles there, right? If you have a KJV, who has a KJV? It would say he could not do any mighty works there. Now, the only issue that you'll have to challenge is, okay, what is mighty works there? Is mighty works casting out demons? Is mighty works salvation, etc.? But doesn't that sentence look kind of weird? He wasn't able to do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. So did people get healed there? Absolutely. But whose faith healed them? Jesus' faith. Now, people have challenged me and said, no, look at this verse. He wasn't able to do miracles there because look at their unbelief stopped it. No, read it again. It says he wasn't able to do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. So he had to go to them and heal. Now, here's a cool way to remember. Mark 6, verse 5 and 6, and Mark 6, verse 56. It's easy to remember. Go to verse 56. Okay, what does it say? And when, wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak. And all who touched him were healed. What's the difference between the two accounts? The first account, they didn't believe. So what did he do? He had faith on their behalf. He healed them. So he had to go to them. On the second account, what happened? They believed. They went to them. So anyone that came to Christ in faith was See the difference, folks? If you have faith for yourself, that's, a ba- that's the best faith that you can have, okay? So if your friends don't have faith, don't condemn them like, oh, what a loser, you're not a real Christian. No, you have faith for them, okay? That'll stir them up and encourage them. See, so you don't need the other person to have faith. Is that clear? Okay? 
Now, you cannot heal unless you have a special healing anointing. Now, how many ones, you guys are all familiar with the anointing, uh, annoying, <laughs> with the anointing talk, okay? Uh, now, I'm not going to mention these names, but I went to a really huge international healing conference several years ago. This is before I got the grace revelation. And the big names were there, man, like famous people that were known to raise the dead. And this was in another state in the United States. And so a couple of my friends, we actually drove all the way to another state because we heard about an impartation that they were doing, right? You get imparted, you know, more miracles will increase when you have hands laid on you, blah, blah, blah. So anyways, I went to this huge event. Then first couple days, yeah, they're just doing healing, but I still didn't see anything kind of impressive to me. I'm just being honest. Then it was impartation time. So this famous healer, I can guarantee you'll know this person's name, was there. She said, it's time for impartation. Now, I was excited. This is, that's why we drove there for that specific thing. So there's thousands of people. They created something called fire tunnels where there's these huge tunnels. Of, it's a line where all the healing ministers will you know, form like a, like a tunnel for you to go under. Okay, you have to go through. And so what I did is that the, that famous healer, of course, all of them are anointed, but I wanted that special person. That person was at the end of the line. So I went through the whole fire tunnel. Everyone laid hands on me like I'm receiving, I'm receiving. Then at the end of the line, I saw that famous person. Boom, touched me. Nothing happened. And I saw all these people in front of me going on the floor like this, shaking and like that. You know, honestly, I got jealous. I wish I was doing that because then I would have seen that something happened to my body. <laughs> you know, like I received some sort of transfer or impartation. But, you know, nothing happened. So I was a bit discouraged. I went all the way to the back of the line. I put a hood over my head because <laughs> I wanted to go back and receive a double portion, okay, a, double, uh, you know, a double dose. So I went back again. I went to the whole line, then saw that famous person again. Boom, touched me, and nothing happened. So anyways, I just wanted to say, okay, maybe something happened. I just don't have to feel it. I went back to California. I wanted to continue my healing ministry. You know what happened? Nothing changed. In fact, there was a little bit of change. The stuff that I used to pray for even before that event that I used to heal, I couldn't heal it anymore. So it almost felt like it got worse. You know, so I was like, man, what did they give me? <laughs> you know, I was actually wondering that. I actually got scared to do healing services again, right? Then it wasn't until I got a hold of this grace message where they finally told me, you already have everything. You see that big shift of thinking, if you believe that, right? Now, what if I were to tell you that you already have the anointing of Jesus Christ? Okay, now everybody, I remember people used to come up to me and they would joke, they would grab like the back of my shirt and say, Josh, I want your mantle. Have you heard that kind of language before? I want your healing mantle. Or the, you know, the, every time I do a healing line, I pray for like hundreds of Koreans. I, I minister to Koreans a lot. And then there's always that one in that evening be like, I'm not here for healing. Just give me some. Like that. Just give me some of your anointing. You know, it's, it's that kind of mindset, folks. We call them impartation junkies, okay, where they chase one movement to another. And I'm telling you, you're going to hear a lot of that. I've heard some stuff here in the Philippines without mentioning organizations. Go over here. God's doing a new thing. Come, he received a new impartation, blah, blah, blah. No. Test everything you see in light of Scripture, folks. Whatever, I could guarantee you that all these new things that they're doing, you already have. Okay? Now, look at 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. I'm giving you scriptures so you can test everything, okay? 1 John chapter 2. two twenty. Now, what does it say? But you have an anointing from the Holy One. Who's that? 
That's Christ. And all of you who know the truth. Now look at verse 27. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. Now imagine if Smith Wigglesworth comes in here, if you guys know Smith Wigglesworth, or John G. Lake, or, or all these famous people. They don't know. This is the younger generation, okay? Since I'm, like, I'm old, okay? <laughs> I probably look just like you guys, okay? Folks, you don't need anyone's anointing except Jesus Christ. You have it. Okay? You don't need to go chasing to anybody. What they're trying to do is that they're trying to sell you on something called the anointing. That's how people make money. Buy my new book, Fast 40 Days, Get More Power, Increase the Anointing. That's how you make money, folks. They're selling you on a lie. You already have the anointing of Jesus Christ. How better can it get? Amen? Okay, I'm just going through these kind of fast, okay? I don't want you guys to fall asleep. Now, <laughs> this is a big sacred cow. The secret to spiritual power is fasting. Sorry, I might have stepped on some toes there. It's okay, yeah? Well, let me go crazier. <laughs> okay, the secret to spiritual power is fasting. Now, am I against fasting? Depends. I want you to open up your Bible to Mark 9, 29. Mark 9, 29. Okay, now what's the context of this story? This is a story where they couldn't cast a demon out of the epileptic boy. Right? So there's someone foaming on the ground, on, you know, in their mouth, on the ground, etc. They couldn't cast a demon out of the boy. Then what does Jesus say? It says, verse 29, this, this kind can come out only by and see that? Now, I'm gonna, this is a big sacred cow. You know that verse that says fasting? It's in your KJV. But in your, NIV, in your NIV, it's not there. Why? That fasting part was added to the Bible. Look at, okay, when you see that part where it says prayer, look at it, you'll see a footnote. It's not in the original text. You got to keep in mind that when you have different translations of the Bible, NIV, KJV, NASB, the people that translate it, they have their biases. They have their own, you know, backgrounds that they put in there, Okay. So I guess there are the people that translated these versions probably thought that you have to do those kinds of things. You have to fast. Folks, I've been to gatherings where people are constantly fasting. Am I against fasting? No, it just depends. Imagine how ridiculous it would sound that you can't cast that demon out unless you do this type of fasting and prayer. Okay? Now imagine at this gathering, someone drops from a heart attack right now. All of a sudden you see someone or even having epilepsy or a seizure. They're shaking on the ground. What are you going to do? I'll be back. <laughs> Let me go to my prayer closet. <laughs> Folks, a Christian must be ready every time, all the time. Now, if you want to keep this fasting in there, I could still leave it in there. But this is how it would even sound contradictory. Now, you guys know that story where even John's disciples came up to Jesus and said, why is it that we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples don't fast? And what did Jesus say? They don't need to fast while I'm still with them. So why would it be weird that he's telling his disciples before don't fast, but when they couldn't cast a demon out, you unbelieving perverse generation, right? He was upset. In other words, in our language, we'd be like, how much should I put up with you? You don't believe. They couldn't do it. And Jesus, bring the boy to me. He, he handled it. Now, isn't it interesting? They didn't say, oh, why couldn't we cast it out? 
because you didn't have enough faith. They didn't say that. They probably had faith because they were already going from city to city healing the sick, right? They didn't say, oh, it's not God's will. Jesus didn't say, maybe it's not the right time. He didn't say, God's trying to teach him something through that seizure. <laughs> he said, what? Because of your unbelief. Do you see they had faith, but they had doubt at the same time? Now, here's my little conjecture that I really learned from Andrew Womack. Andrew Womack was talking about how, now imagine you're healing a bunch of people. Now, can you guys heal a back pain? Some of you have prayed for back pains before. It's not a big deal. But imagine someone just comes up to you and all of a sudden, all over the floor. What are the, some of the ways why we start to have doubt? Because of what we can see. And sometimes what we see creates fear and doubt in us where we can get intimidated by what we see. And that's why I would tell people sometimes, if you're praying for someone, like a, a patient that has blood all over their body or anything, and all of a sudden that is creating doubt in you and fear, close your eyes. Okay? Folks, the devil's been defeated. The battle's already won. I hear all this spiritual warfare talk. It's nonsense sometimes. You have to do this. You have to go to this. You know, let's do it like a prayer walk. And you got to cast all these demons of this and that, blah, blah, blah. Folks, you won't find that in the new covenant. The devil's under your feet. You get what I'm saying? That's why there's a lot of these stupid theologies that are out there that are trying to make you guys perform and work to try to get more power when you already have everything. Folks, the devil's already a defeated foe. By his stripes, you are healed. You get what I'm saying? You know how much authority? Don't overestimate the power of the devil. And don't underestimate what you have. If we are called light, and I've heard people, when you go in this area in Laguna, there's that, you know, that hill that's shaped like a woman or something like that. Yeah, I've heard that before. Is that right? Something like that, okay? You know, they pray against the spirit of this and that. That's nonsense, man. That's a bunch of works, okay? Folks, when you walk into a room that's full of darkness and demons, when you walk into a room, they should be scared of you. That when you walk into a room and you are light, when you turn the light on, cockroaches will flee. You get what I'm saying? But it's all a mindset. If you think that the devil has more power, that you need to fast more and do this and that, it will mess with you because that's what you believe. That's what you will get. Okay, and I could just do this just based upon experience. We've cast it out. I've cast it out. I don't even know how many hundreds of demons. And I don't even fast. I love to eat. Okay, now am I against fasting? No, it depends what you mean in the sense that if I've noticed this in churches, in testimonies, and it just really destroys the grace message. It really hinders it. Someone says, you know, we're praying for healing or praying for a financial breakthrough, and then all of a sudden I start to fast, blah, 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 and all of a sudden I got my financial breakthrough. I was praying for healing because I was sick, and I started to fast, and then I got my miracle breakthrough. You know what the danger is of that, folks? You're showing that fasting is like the causal thing. If I fast, then blah, blah, blah. Folks, if you fasted and then you got healed, you know what healed you? It wasn't the fasting. It was your faith. So that fasting will help you get focused. Because I've seen people, even in my Bible school, man, I'm not trying to make them look bad, but it's just kind of funny. They're fasting with the wrong mentality. They're like, I remember we're in the library. They're like, oh, man, my stomach hurts. I just want to eat. I'm like, just eat, man. You're doing it with the wrong motive. Because even the Bible says that when you fast, you don't need to tell everybody. Wash your face. Don't need, you don't need to brag about it. Another way you can fast is not necessarily fasting food, fast food, okay? But you're fasting things that could hinder your belief. If I would encourage people, if you are starting to feel symptoms in your body, one of the first things that we will do is Google the symptoms. Now, all of a sudden, we Google the symptoms and we think, oh my gosh, I think I have that disease. What I would do is I would fast the Googling. Pray. 
because you're feeding unbelief. If you want to fast, fast things that will keep you from believing. Okay? Now, I know this is not all about grace. This is the healing stuff today. But I tell people I've been fasting for almost three years now. You say, Josh, you look great. No, I'm joking. No. Okay, right? What do I mean? I've been fasting from the tree and no longer eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil anymore. And, now, and, I, and I now feast from the life of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing you should ultimately fast. Okay? There's nothing wrong with eating. It's not about eating. Folks, God's not a jerk. Okay? God is not into hunger strikes. Every time you look at your relationship with God, I want you to treat it the way a father would treat a human son. If, imagine if I might, you know, I've heard people, why are you fasting? Because my church is fasting. Why are you fasting? So I could hear God more. Why are you fasting? So he could hear my prayers. On a human level, how loving is that? Just think about it. Imagine if I see my son. He wants to hear me more. So he'll go on a hunger strike because he wants me to know how serious I am about him. And I see him starving. God, I'm not going to eat. Okay, son, now I will. Folks, let's call a jerk father. God's not a jerk. He's provided everything already. Get small. <laughs> okay? Let me practice. Nothing behind your back. Okay? That's all that I know, okay? Uh, and I'm just going to move on to the next one because so, we have more time. So healing is not included in the atonement. And Isaiah 53 only refers to spiritual healing. Now, I've been taught, if you come from a more Reformed background, Okay, it's just a theological camps. A lot of people think that when you look at Isaiah 53 with the suffering servant, right? It's a prophecy about Jesus Christ coming as a suffering Messiah. It says that he took upon our infirmities, right? Then by his stripes we are healed. Okay, then also says in Peter, 2 Peter 3, by his stripes you were healed. Past tense, that's one thing I want you to notice about the differences that this whole new covenant thing is not about something that's going to come. It's all past tense. I'm teaching you past tense Bible. Okay, by his stripes, you were healed. Now, some people will say that that's only spiritual healing. Okay, by his stripes, you are healed. It's just talking about spiritual. It's talking about sin, blah, blah, blah. And a lot of people will tell you that Jesus Christ just wants you to focus on your sin and that healing is only secondary. Folks, I want you to think about that, okay? You'll meet some Christians that are more conservative. They'll say, yeah, healing's cool, but, you know, we shouldn't focus on that. We should focus on, you know, uh, just spiritual growth and forgiveness and all that stuff. Now, I want you to keep in mind that when, in the Bible, when Christians are only emphasizing forgiveness of sins, you will notice in the scriptures that God always emphasizes healing and forgiveness together. I, you, I could guarantee that. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, all my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. That when you notice when Jesus was on this earth, he always mentioned forgiveness of sins and the healing of the body in the same breath. When you look at the man who was paralyzed, he says, what is easier to say? Son, your sins are forgiven or pick up your mat and walk. He always mentioned it in the same breath because they're just as important to him. Now here is something that I think is enlightening for a lot of people. The same word for, he- for salvation in the Greek is healing. Okay, the same Greek word, sozo, is the same word that you'll see in the New Testament for heal, save, deliverance, salvation, healing. It's soterio. It's the Greek word. Whenever you see the word save or salvation, just put the word healing there and vice versa. It's the same word. 
So when people are separating, like, no, it's just more forgiveness of sin. No, the same Greek word for forgiveness, healing, deliverance from torment, it's the same Greek word. Now look at Matthew chapter 8, okay? Now what does it say? Verse 14, when Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with the word, and he healed the sick. Look at verse 17. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. Is that spiritual healing, folks, going on in Matthew? It's physical healing. Folks, I think even people in the Philippines, they would say, I believe that God could heal, but people still here, they struggle with whether or not it's God's will. If you can prove that healing is provided in the atonement, it is always God's will to heal. It is God's will for everybody to be saved. And is healing included in the atonement? It's always His will to heal. We need to go and renew our minds. There's nothing wrong with you. There's something wrong up here. <laughs> okay, you need to renew your mind. Okay, so you could get more confident in what you believe with that. It's making sense. Okay, I'm trying to move quickly. Okay, um, if you are suffering from any disease or sickness, God is trying to teach you something or discipline you and make you a better person. Now, have you ever heard people, Christians, say that person's sick, but hey, man, God's teaching them something. God's going to probably build their character. Have you ever met someone that was sick and then they died? How do you build your character when you're dead? How do you build your character? How do you tell that to a baby? Like I said, it's just common sense. You, you tell the baby, hey, God's trying to teach you something, baby. <laughs> they don't even have their rational faculties developed yet to be able to try to understand. Now, isn't it interesting, too, that people even think that when God's trying to teach you something, isn't it interesting that he says, yeah, but for many years you could even have cancer. You still have no idea what he's trying to teach you. Now, would it be loving for a father to constantly beat his child to teach him something without any explanation? Would that be a good father? No. When would the baby stop doing what the baby needs to stop doing if he knew what he needs to stop doing in order to learn his lesson, right? There's nothing to learn if you don't know what you're supposed to learn. He's not even teaching. But imagine there's these people thinking that you have to carry your cross of sickness and God's trying to teach you something and there's nowhere in the Bible where it says that. The only thing you'll learn from healing or from sickness is that it hurts and it sucks. Okay? But every time Jesus encountered a sick person, it was always healed. Okay? I'm moving fast. The Bible calls us to a life of suffering and sickness. Now, are we called to suffer in this world? Yeah. The Bible says that you will be persecuted. Okay? Now, notice this. There is a difference between suffering and sickness. I want you to notice this is a huge difference. The Bible makes this distinction. There is a difference between suffering and sickness. All sickness is suffering, but not all suffering is sickness. The Bible says you will be persecuted for your faith. People will abandon you. Your family will even be against you, right? It's funny. Even when you get in this grace message, even Christians will be against you. It's really interesting, man, okay? Now, look at the book of James. Just one book alone. You'll see the distinction between the two. James chapter 1 says, Consider it pure joy. When you face trials or you suffer trials of many kinds, because, you know, it'll develop your faith, perseverance, etc. That, that's chapter 1. Chapter 5, what does it say? Are any of you sick? Call the elders of the church. Lay hands on them, and the prayer prayed in faith will make the sick person 
well. Persecution or suffering is always seen, could be seen in a positive light in the New Testament when you're suffering on behalf of on Christ. But sickness is never meant to be put up with. It is never meant to be endured until you get to heaven. Have I heard a lot of Christians say, well, don't worry, you're going to be healed in heaven one day. Easy for you to say you don't have the disease, man. Really, Christians create stupid theologies because they don't know how to explain. They don't know how to believe God's words. Okay? Now, a sickness or disease may be a result of a generational curse. And I'm not going to go into detail with this because this is just too long. But you'll hear people that will say, you know, like someone came up to my friend several months ago and her, bo- her baby was born with eczema. You know that condition? It's a skin problem. So it's like scabby, okay? A Christian told her and said, the reason why your kid has it is because of you. It's your sin. It's a generational curse. That's the way the generational curse works, right? In the Old Testament, Ezekiel, it'll talk about like, some people will say, well, if your father is a drunk, you're going to be a drunk. Okay, if you have this, your children will inherit that as well. Now, I understand the whole, there are consequences. If you have AIDS, your kids could get AIDS. If you're a drunkard, yeah, it could affect your child, but it's not deterministic. It's not an automatic thing that you're going to become what your parents are, okay? But here's what it says, just to keep it short. You read that, Ezekiel 18 on your own, it talks about that. But it talks about that you are responsible for yourself. Even if your parents do something stupid, you are responsible for yourself. Okay? But then it says in Galatians chapter 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. That you may receive the blessings of Abraham. So the only thing that you should be expecting is not generational curses, it's generational blessings. The only life that you have to go back to, you have to go back into your past and dig in. No, the only past that you go back to is Jesus Christ. Folks, you're dead. You're dead. Okay? Your old life is gone. It's been buried. It's been crucified with Christ. Your new life is Jesus Christ. There is no generational curse because your only generation is Jesus Christ. Okay? So throw that stupid thing. Man, that, that puts a lot of people in condemnation, man. That happened to several of my friends. You had that skin problem because of your sin or of a generational curse. That's not the gospel, okay? Now, Paul's thorn in the flesh. You guys heard Paul's thorn in? That's probably one of the most common things. Here's what happened with Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He had these great revelations. He was taken to heaven inside or outside of the body. He does not know. All of a sudden, this thorn in the flesh was given to him. And it was a messenger of Satan, not God, to torment him. Now, I want, you, I want to read this to you. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Because everyone uses, oh, it's okay. If you're not healed, look at Paul. He asked God to take away the thorn three times. And God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. That's one of the most common responses when people pray for the sick and they don't get better. They use this Paul's thorns thing. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, when you have time to read this on your own, you will notice that there is not anything indicating that this is a sickness. I've read commentaries, and the commentaries would say, it was probably an eye problem that he had. He had a sickness or something like that. What's the context of this? Now, you know in your Bibles, there's no chapters or titles in the original text. It's Greek, right? They're all bunched up together. In chapter 11, what was going on here? He was being persecuted. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten with rods. He was stoned. He went without food, etc. So what's happening here? When you look at this whole thorn in the flesh deal, in the New Testament. That thorn in the flesh is like a, it's a figure of speech. It's a, like a Hebrew idiom. To Paul's mind, you look at Numbers 33:55. Israel's neighbors would call thorns in the sides. The word thorn is always meant to be like persecution. 
So write that down, Numbers 3355. If you want to look it up in the Old Testament and even in the book of Joshua, whenever thorns is mentioned, it has to do with harassment or persecution. It has nothing to do with sickness. So what is Paul saying here? That because he's been preaching the gospel, he has these amazing revelations, a thorn in the flesh has been given to him, not from God, but from Satan. It's a messenger of Satan, right? Because of what he's been preaching. So he's been shipwrecked, he's been persecuted. It has nothing to do with sickness, folks. Here's if someone says, this is my thorn in the flesh. That's why my mom has cancer. You're letting your mom die because of that dumb theology that you've been taught. Okay, the thorn in the flesh is persecution. It's thorn in the sides. Okay, this is making sense, right? I'm sorry, I'm going kind of fast. Now, is it God's will for people to be healed? But why is it when you pray, they don't get better? Must be God's will, right? Now, I'm going to challenge this whole sovereignty thing that I hear in a lot of Christian talk. Now, uh, this is going to get a little personal, and I only do this to make a point because it gets clearer when I use personal experiences. Now, imagine you, somebody says, whatever happens, happens. Whatever happens is God's will, right? Because God's in control. God could have stopped it if he didn't want it to happen. God will use that for his glory, Romans 8, 28, right? They use all these Bible verses that they throw around, okay? Now imagine, okay, so you pray for someone, they don't get better, it must be God's will because if God would have answered it, right? Or you're going from church, you're at church, all of a sudden you drive home from a Bible study, slippery road, you fall off the road, it must have been God's will because he would have protected you, right? Someone even told me yesterday, he says, don't, you don't believe that your time to die is always God's time? Of course not. Because everyone says, I'm going to die in God's time. There's nowhere in the Bible where it says that, folks. If that's true, you wouldn't raise anybody from the dead. Okay? Does that make sense? The Bible promises you many years. 70 years under the old covenant. And then it, it talks about where you will be satisfied with good life. And in a technical sense, you don't even die. Okay? Your just body goes to the grave, but you're still alive. Okay? But when it comes to this whole God's will thing, if that's true, now, I want to just challenge anybody. Let's just say you have that in your mind that maybe it's God's will sometimes and sometimes it's not. And let's just say you get sick and you have that theology in your head. Here's what I'll tell you. Okay, you don't believe it's always God's will for you to be healed and you're sick right now? Stop taking your medicine. Don't go to the doctor. You know that tumor that's inside you? Leave it there. It drew you closer to Christ. Leave it because I want you to keep drawing closer to Christ. Do you notice inconsistency? How they don't believe it's God's will, but yet they keep going to the doctor to get better. Folks, like I said, God's not a jerk. I've been to hospitals for babies. My heart breaks. I don't even dare to say, God, why aren't you healing these babies? You know what that seems to imply? That we have a bigger heart than God. Where do you think that com the compassion came from? God, but what does God say to you? I've given ev you everything in my son. Heal the sick. Okay? Now I'm going to make it personal too. This is not to, I know it's kind of personal for girls. This is where it's stupid on how, how Christians have a theology on this, that not everything is God's will. I'm not even going to ask for a raise of hands, but many of you girls, maybe even some boys, you've been molested. Some of my friends, they have been raped. You know what a lot of Christians will say? It's God's will. He could have stopped it. If God was really in control, he could have stopped it. See how stupid that theology is? Why would you want to worship a God like that? 
Folks, we live in a world where God has created people to have authority and dominion over creation. We make good choices in this world. We make bad choices in this world. Good things happen. Bad things happen. The bad things God hates. And that's why there's all these people saying, God, stop abortion. God, stop this. God, stop that. God, just change this nation. And God, I say, you change it. Why are you putting all the responsibility on God when he's already providing, give, given his son to you 2,000 years ago? You don't even say, God, stop abortion all of a sudden. Oh, wow, the, the clinic cl- shut down all of a sudden. Folks, God is saying you are his hands. We are his feet. We are his eyes. We are everything. And that's, we are, in a sense, a different form of Jesus Christ. It's, we're not called the body of Christians, folks. We're called the body of who? Christ. And so when I'm giving a person a responsibility to say, heal the sick, they say, what, Josh, is God's hands tied behind his back? You're his hands. Take responsibility. Is this making sense, folks? That's why, what, that's why you know, I appreciate like, when people are honest with me. Folks, would that be a good God to just say, well, God, I heard someone even tell me the other day at a Bible study, God wanted, God, now I see why that girl got raped so she could help other people who got raped. Just even that language alone. Now I know why God let you get raped, just so you could help people who got raped. Because, you know, they use their testimony. Like, if you were molested, you're going to help molested kids. Folks, how do you tell that to the first person that was molested? How do you tell that to the first person that was raped? They have no one to help. If you're only, imagine God says, let me let you get molested so you can help other molested children. And when people get molested or raped, that's not God's will. God's heart is always to heal. God's heart is always the solution. God's heart is always to provide. God's not saying that when you're struggling finances, I'm trying to teach you a lesson, be poor. Folks, poverty was a curse of sin in this world. We're not saying you're cursed, but we're saying it's, it's a result of sin in this world. Right? Rape, all those things. Murder, it's, not, it's, a, it's, a, it's a result of sin in this world. And if it's a result of sin and Jesus died for sin... It's not his will, folks. There's this responsibility that we have to make wise choices. Okay, none of this stuff like, I go wherever I go, I'm okay. I do whatever I want because everything is God's will, folks. It's nonsense. Then you're saying God is endorsing those bad things. Because if you're saying everything is God's will, it's like no difference between you getting raped and not getting raped is almost the same thing. Well, praise God. You know, she got protected. She didn't get raped. Well, she got raped. Well, Praise God because he did it so he could accomplish something for his greater glory. Folks, if you just listen into your heart and stop trying to agree with all of these pastors that are telling you, no, it's God's will because of their theological background, (laughs) you know deep down in your heart that is not a good God. That he's saying, I'm going to let you get raped so you can help other people that got raped or just to build your character. You know what I would tell God if that were the case? Don't build my character. That could scar me for life. Is God, God is good. Is rape good? It's bad. The devil's bad. Is cancer good? Cancer's bad. Where does it come from? Then why are we making it seem like it's all coming from God? Now, I do not deny that God is so sovereign that he could take that bad and somehow turn it for good. I don't, I don't deny that. But that does not come from God. That thing itself. But even if you've been through those things, God is saying, that wasn't my plan but I can still turn this out for the good somehow, folks. 
God is a good God all the time. Okay? All the time. Making sense? When you pray for someone and they don't get better the first time, what do I do? Pray again. Do it again. What about I do it the second time? It doesn't work. Do it again. The third time, do it again. Until you see the result that by His stripes they are healed. And that's the thing though. Imagine if you result to this whole God's will thing all the time. You pray for someone, they didn't get better. It must be God's will. It's always eat a cup out and to give up. And the devil is very pleased with that. You're like, oh, look, he just prayed once. He thinks that's it. He just thinks it's God's will now. You're empowering the enemy. And in fact, the devil has no power, no authority at all, but you're empowering him in a way because you're believing his lies. When you believe a lie, you're empowering the liar. Okay? Let me tell you how much authority and dominion you have. You can exercise healing anytime, any place, anywhere. And if your gospel shows, tells you that you can't manifest healing anytime, any place, anywhere, that's not the true gospel. But if you keep healing simple, be healed. Get up and walk, eyes open. That's it, folks. Keep it simple, man. Okay, Jesus didn't look at the guy in John chapter 9 who was born blind and everyone's like, you know, who sinned, him or his parents? That would have been the perfect time to use a generational curse thing. Oh, it's because of his parents. No, Jesus says this happened, so my works may be displayed. Was his works to say, oh, you know, I could teach him a lesson through his blindness and his hearing would be enhanced and have a gift of hearings better, you know? No, he healed. You know, one of the things that encourages me about my hand, because I did a, a, a lecture in my class one day about God's power in my seminary. And it was new for everybody. Interesting, it's like they were challenging my beliefs on healing. It makes me wonder, do you read the Bible and see healing, man? It's there. Do you know the story with the man with the withered hand? Now, when I'm growing up, I'm always taught, because I break dance, okay? So I thank God I can break dance. Now, someone will say, Josh, you have one good hand. Stop complaining, right? Look at, look at Nick Vucic, or I don't know how to say his name. The guy with no arms, no legs. Praise God for his life, okay? But they would say, you have one good hand. Now, that's true. Now, look at the man with the man with a withered hand. Did Jesus go up to him and say, well, you have one good hand, stop complaining. Your other hand's going to be healed in heaven. Or I'm going to let you have your hand be withered like that to teach you a lesson or to build your character. Did Jesus say that? What did Jesus say? Stretch out your hand. Jesus is God's will in action. Jesus is perfect theology. He says, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you want to know the Father's heart, you look to Jesus Christ. And everyone that came to Jesus was healed. The disciples aren't your model. The prophets, the apostles, it's Jesus Christ. It says, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It is always God's will to heal. Luke 9 and several other verses that we don't have to turn to because of time says that authority and dominion you have. Okay, now what does that mean? Now I want you to imagine, uh, which example should I use? Let's just say I'm a cop, and I'm in a, and I'm in a 7-Eleven store, and there's some stupid guy that starts robbing the store. He says, give me your money. He goes to the cashier, and I'm a cop. I'm going to carry a badge, okay? Now, did you know in, in the original language when it comes to power and authority, the language talks about what is authority? Authority means you've been given permission to do something. You've been granted permission to do something, okay? So if I have a... If, I have, if I'm a cop, what's my authority to show my authority? What do I grab? My badge. So I'll tell that robber, hey, put your gun down, right? 
But then let's just say he doesn't listen, just like many devils are stupid, okay? When you try to cast them out, okay? They don't listen. So what do you do? You have power. There's authority and power in the Bible. Authority is your badge. It's the permission that's been granted to you. you have, you're allowed to do it. You have your power, which is your gun. So I'll grab out my gun and say, now put your gun down. That's where you exercise your authority. Do you see the difference? And I said, when you start doing healing now, you're going to shift from asking God to do the healing, and now you're going to do the healing yourself and commanding that thing to listen to what you want. You tell your body what to do, and don't let your body tell you how to act. I can't do this, my back. Then I'll tell you, straighten out your back. Don't give in. You're letting your body dictate you on how you're supposed to live your life. Oh, I can't sit down anymore. Then sit down in faith. Okay, this is going to be kind of stretching. It's going to be kind of crazy. Smith Wigglesworth even had a woman. Uh, I won't even share that story, but they're crazy stories, man. It really comes down to whether or not you can settle it in your heart, folks, if you believe this book. Okay? Now, I want you to think about the prayers. If someone breaks in your home, all of a sudden, this little uh, punk kid, you see him in your living room. He's taking your, your, your iPad, okay? So he's taking off your iPad. What do you do? Do you say, Father, remove this kid. He's stealing my iPad in Jesus' name. Do you say that? Do you say, Father, is it your will that he steal my iPad? What's up, man? It's good to see you. <laughs> okay. Do you say, little boy, I rebuke you? Right? Do you say, Father, what are you trying to teach me with this boy stealing my iPad? Folks, just common sense. What would you say to the kid? Get out! Tell him what to do. And that's exactly how you do it when it comes to healing. The Bible says that if you have faith, okay? Remember, everyone's like, how much faith do I need to have? Folks, the Bible says you need faith as small as a mustard seed. How much faith do you need? Faith as small as a mustard seed. Just get rid of your doubt. Okay? It's not about how much faith you have. Okay, you get what I'm saying? When you have faith, you're understanding that you have everything. Now, when it comes to healing or whatever, you don't say Father. Notice how much everyone says Father all the time when they pray. That needs to change. You don't need to talk to God about it. God has already spoken to you about what his plan is. You just get straight to the point. You tell that problem what to do. You treat it like a devil. When you look at someone who's sick with cancer, or whatever it may be, you look at them as a prisoner of war, that the devil's messing with them, and you're there to set them free. So what do you do? Do you say, Father, can you remove that cancer? Now, am I against you saying, Father, no. But that just shows a confusion in a person's mind that they're not exercising dominion. I really like that word dominion, by the way, because that really pumps me up. Okay, you have dominion, okay? You can exercise healing anytime. You tell that sucker to leave. And that devil will not leave because of how loud you scream. Okay, I've heard a lot of people do spiritual warfare. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. <laughs> the louder you scream almost indicates to me that you're just thinking scared. The demons will submit to you, not because you say in Jesus' name. They will submit to you because your names are written in heaven. Know who you are. Now, if you know who you are, you'll walk in any room. Even if there's demons there, new agers there, you don't walk in in an arrogant or mayabang way, but you walk in as a son of God as a daughter of God, that the devil has no idea who he's messing with. You know, the best thing that the devil can do is intimidate you. He's already defeated, folks. So what he'll do is get people to manifest in front of you, like, you know, like in the movie sometimes. I've seen some of that. And all we would do is shut up. It would stop. 
I'm not even joking. You either take my word or not. I've had times where a friend of mine, all her energy was taken out of her, and my Korean friend's like, oh, my gosh, she's not moving at all. And I said, watch this. I was like that. I said, watch this. In Jesus' name, get up. Boom. She woke up. I'm not even joking. Okay, it's either you take my word or not. All the authority that he has, you have. And it's a matter of speaking. It doesn't say that if you have faith, without any doubt in your heart, you tell this mountain to go throw itself into the sea. Does it say you need to ask the Father to go take that mountain to throw itself into the sea? What does it say? You speak to the mountain. You speak to your problem. Cancer, get out. Devil, get out. Pain, get out now. And you believe. See, faith is not, I like what Curry Blake said, faith is not a stirring up. Faith is a settling down. It's like grace. You believe. You don't have to get all crazy, you know, like that. You could if you want. That's just if your personality is like that. It's just a matter of believing. Are you getting this, folks? Okay? So I'm telling you, it's not about asking God. If you want to ask, Father, Father, can you heal? It's not bad to do that. I'm just saying, but you're not understanding your authority. But when that moment of faith gets there, command. Tell that sucker what to do. I'm telling you, man, it'll leave fast. Okay? You will get what you believe. Is it going to be a progressive healing? You'll most likely get a progressive healing. If you believe it's going to be immediate, it'll be immediate. Folks, you get what you believe. Okay, if I, that's why it'll give you more confidence to expect the immediate, folks, especially when you do healing in public. Okay, we train our people to do healing. My first healing was at Market Market here in the Philippines. I was at Tokyo, Tokyo. I, I saw some guy on crutches in a big cast. He wasn't even a believer, and I prayed over him, then he got healed. It throws people off because we do it in the malls, okay? But we're trying to get this mindset that it's not about being in a church. It's that if you really have the kingdom lifestyle, you'll take it wherever you go, man. Get all that religious stuff out of your mind. I was going to say something else, okay? Sorry. It's making sense? And now, now this, it might be kind of different. God's power that I've heard from Curry Blake, and I agree with this 100%, God's power is mechanical. Okay, now that sounds kind of weird. What do I mean by that? That's what I mean is that the fact that you can exercise it anytime, any place, anywhere. God's power is already released. All you have to do is tap into that by faith, and you could do it anytime. That's why when we do healing later, I won't even ask for the worship team to come up because I don't need to wait for the anointing. I don't need to wait for a, the, 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 the presence of God. Folks, you are the presence of God, man. Okay? You are the temple. You guys get this, folks, how people are getting these weird charismatic, oh, I feel the healing anointing. Now I think, now I hear from God. Now he wants to heal. Folks, God's ready to heal anytime. You don't have to wait and say, God, is it your will to heal? You know how you know when you should heal? You should heal anytime because you just depend upon God's good nature. You don't depend upon a mood. You don't depend upon a feeling of the anointing. Of, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost is in here. Now he wants to heal. Folks, he's ready to heal anytime. Because his nature is good all the time. You just depend upon his good nature. Okay? Then all you have to do is release. Amen? Okay, any questions? Any questions so far? I know this was long. How much time did I do already? That was pretty long, man. <laughs> okay? Any questions? I really want to help you guys with this because I don't even know when I'm going to be back. So I want to empower you guys while I'm here, especially while this is kind of like a Q&A. Thanks, Pastor Mike. It's kind of Q&A style, so I really want to help you guys with this. Any questions? Well, okay. Now, I'm going to be very blunt with my view. 
Okay? And some charismatics will disagree with me. The Bible says by his stripes, you are healed. Healed. If you're healed, do healed people take medicine? Do healed people go to the doctors? I'm, don't argue with me yet. I'm just giving reasoning. What's common sense answer? By his stripes, you are healed. Do healed people take medicine? Do healed people go to the doctors? There are people who say, Josh, please pray for me. I believe God can heal me. And why are you already, you're already going to the doctors right away? You're not even believing yet. Oh, but God will use the hands of the doctors. Now, am I against, I'm not like John G. Lake, who almost made doctors like the devil. Okay, he's really against medicine. He's really against doctors. Okay? Here's my point, folks. I can't just give you a statement saying, don't ever go to the doctor. You cannot walk in my revelation. It has to be something that you settle in your heart. Now, do I personally go to the doctor? No. Okay? I want you to think about this. Like John G. Lake even says that when you take your medicine, you throw it down the toilet and you apologize to the toilet. Okay? Now, I'm not as strong as John G. Lake in that area to be that blunt to tell people don't take your medicine. But folks, it's either you believe this or you don't. And I've had times where I would suffer pain and I wouldn't take medicine and we would just believe. There were times where my wife, someone said she'd just get a checkup. When we first got married, she did a checkup. They said that they found something. And said, Remy, this is weird that supposedly they found that. It's almost impossible. How did that happen to you, something that happened in her body? I said, let's just believe. It's gone. Okay, now when it comes to that doctors, do I believe in doctors? Do I go? No. But, okay, am I against you going to the doctor? No. But I do believe that there's a higher way. Can God use doctors? Absolutely. Can God use medicine? Absolutely. But I want to come to the point, folks, where I don't depend upon the doctors. Folks, there was a time when there was some healing done in Africa, and miracles were happening so fast. And then uh, this American guy says, how is it that you guys just got it so fast and miracles were just happening like crazy? Then this African pastor said, because we don't have any hospitals here. It's either we believe or we don't. It's a matter of life and death. (laughs) Is this making sense, folks? Now, I'm not against, you know what I'm saying, devils, you know, doctors are devils. My aunt's a doctor, okay? I'm not going to condemn you if you take medicine. I won't. Trust me, I won't. If that's what you want to do, okay, let me pray for you first. Okay, and I, she, my wife has seen me train my body not to take medicine. I fought it at times, okay, when things would happen to me. But folks, this is where we need to learn and walk in divine health and not just trying to get healed. The body of Christ should be the healed and not the trying to get healed. Okay? But it's barely now. Churches now are barely getting this revelation now of a divine health, folks. Okay, I'm not saying you will never get sick, but whatever happens, fight it with the power of God. Folks, because in the New Testament, they just depended upon God. But isn't it interesting that the doctor is almost, almost by default, all of a sudden, or your medicine, oh, man, I'm sick, blah, 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 got to go to the doctor, go buy me cough medicine. Why are you resorting to that right away? Go to God first. I don't even want to say go to God. Speak to your body. Tell that sucker what to do. Okay? You have authority. Okay, I'm just being blunt here. Okay? And I know this might be offensive for a lot of people. I'm just trying to believe God at his words. But it's your choice. You walk in your revelation. 
This is where I'm at. Could I change my mind in the future? Maybe. But this is where I'm at. And I'm telling you, I've never been more healthy. Okay, I'm not going to condemn you if you're sick, but I'm telling you, I, it's something that you grow in. Okay? And so what, that's why you want to keep... Okay, Paul, you want to speak? Okay. So that's my answer. It's like it's up to you. So I don't condemn it, but I don't recommend it immediately. You know, if, if, I, I told someone the other day because someone says he was having heart problems. I said, bro, if you're praying and you don't see yourself getting better and you want to go to the doctor, do what you want, man. My concern is your health. I don't want you to die. So if you're trying to pray over a baby and the baby's not getting better, the baby could die at that moment, and you're just like, no, I believe, I believe, I believe, and the baby's not getting better, you better think of another option, man, because your prayers are not working. Okay, my concern is for the health of that baby. You get what I'm saying? But I want to build myself up to the point where it's faith that makes you well. So folks, don't condemn yourself. Even if you take this medicine, a medicine, don't condemn yourself. If you want to believe that it's one way that God heals, do it. I'm not against you doing that. But I would challenge you. Try to get yourself to believe this. Be persuaded. Do something you're not able to do. When was the last time you prayed for something impossible? Anybody could pray for their stinking food. Okay? If you tell a guy that's crippled, like when I told that girl from CCF, she had pain in her foot. I said, step on her foot. Step on your foot. She's like, what? Step on your foot. Because that what causes the pain, right? If you're healed, there shouldn't be any pain. So do something in faith. Because when I'm gone, she can't depend upon me. If, if I was a human, look how crazy this sounds. If there's a crippled guy, and I tell the crippled guy, get up and walk, what would he say? Hello, I'm crippled. I can't walk. Common sense, right? But when you can see through the eyes of faith, get up and walk. And I believe that when you encourage someone to do something that they're not able to do in the natural, they're releasing faith. They're releasing healing. Like if some of you are struggling financially and you see something happening in your bank account and you want to give to somebody but you don't have enough money in your bank account, give to that person that you want to help. I guarantee your bank account will be okay. You step out in faith. You take some sort of action. And if you don't, you're not trusting. I'm just being blunt, okay? <laughs> it's either you believe this or you don't. Okay, so that's just my thoughts, Bob. That's a good question. Okay, no, you don't have to believe it, but uh, that's just my thoughts. Anybody else? Okay, sir? Yeah, of course. Possible. It's just there, the Roman centurion. So, you know, we've done healing over the cell phones. Uh, we've done healing over Skype. My friend even healed an atheist over Facebook. He just typed out, be healed right now in Jesus' name. And the atheist was healed. This is an atheist. He had no faith. From what we know, he's an atheist. Folks, remember, there's no limits. The only hindrance to healing is the fact that you believe that there are hindrances to healing. Okay? Because the only thing, sin doesn't even stop the grace of God. You could do long distance. You could just type out an email and say, okay, I'll pray. I get that all the time, folks, from Facebook. All these people, can you please pray for me? Can you please come here? Just let me type out a message. It'll save me the distance sometimes, you know. Believe. I'll tell someone, just repeat these words and believe it in faith. According to your faith, be it unto you. Words have power, folks. If, you have a, if you're saying, you know, at this time of the month, you know, in the Philippines, it's a flu season, man. Everyone gets the flu. Watch your words. 
Oh, I always get sick at this time of the year. Watch your words. You get what you believe. If you think you're going to be that sick that time of the year, you'll probably get sick that time of the year. You get what you believe. But if you have the mind of Christ, and you say, this season, everyone gets sick, but you'll say, but I won't. I like what uh, Curry Blake did in um, this one country. They have AIDS there in Africa a lot. It's pretty rampant. There's people sweating and all these things. Even babies had AIDS and everything. And this woman was scared to go up to Curry Blake, and she's like, uh, she didn't want to touch his hands because he prays for women touching their hands. She's like, I don't want to touch you. I have AIDS. He said, give me your hands. You're not going to have it anymore. You get what you believe. Are you getting this kind of built up as a supernatural mindset, folks? Folks, you get what you believe. Be careful with your words. Say, I'm going to live long. I'm going to be strong. I have a healthy heart. Even in spite of what you're feeling, tell that thing what to do. Okay, if you're feeling pain in your back or you have a problem with your heart or your lungs or your stomach, you tell that what to do. Okay? Now, of course, I could just tell you to just say, repeat these words after me, but you have to have the mindset because you get what you believe. You don't just get whatever you ask, right? It's what you believe. Because it's a prayer prayed in faith. What I'm trying, my, my point is for this healing is you can do the basics of Christianity. When John 14, 12 says, anyone who has faith in me, this is Jesus, he'll be able to do even greater things. What does greater mean? Is it quality or quantity? Who cares? Because if you're able to do greater, you're able to do similar things. And what did Jesus do? He healed the sick, he cleansed the lepers, and he raised the dead. That's it. Okay, so now we're going to do some healing. Now, it's not going to, I don't know if it's going to be on the screen or not, but this is going to be very simple, folks. This is what you want to do whenever you pray for the sick. It's very simple. It's usually just like three or four steps. You could follow this kind of model, I guess. When you pray for someone, you ask them, first of all, what's the problem? Of course, it's obvious. They'll say, I'm feeling this. Check for symptoms that they have. If they don't know the name of their condition, just notice the symptoms, whether it's pain or, or whatever it may be, Okay. So you notice the symptoms. And what you want to do is that you want to measure it. This helps. So if someone's feeling a pain in their leg, you'll say, on a pain level from 1 to 10, and 10 being the worst, what's the pain level? They'll say, maybe it's an 8. Why do you do that? So once they get healed, they can see that there was a difference before and after. You guys get that? Okay, so what do you do? So what you do, like if you're praying, usually it's going to be boy, boy, girl, girl here. Of course, you could pray for girls. I would recommend that whenever you pray for someone, you ask for permission first if you can lay hands on that specific area. In fact, you actually don't have to, but you could if you want. You, could, you don't even have to touch them. But I'm just showing you the ways we've been normally taught, okay? Uh, you don't even have to say anything, okay? But that's the point is that you, whatever you believe, that's what you'll get. So there are times where you'll lay hands on them. Do you pray to God? You can if you want. Do you have to? No. What do you do? If there's a pain in the body, what do you do? You talk to the pain. You tell it what to do. Pain, leave, now. Then you should expect. Now, what I've noticed with people, when they pray for the sick, these are praying for random things. Like, Lord, I pray for their house, their dog, blah, blah, blah. You know why? Because they're getting scared to test it to see if they got better. Isn't it funny? Someone's like, don't worry, I'll pray for you. But when they pray for you, they'll never ask you, is there any change? Is there any difference? Because we're too afraid to see if there's a difference. Because why? Because you didn't believe. Okay, we're just being honest here with ourselves. Okay, so when we do healing now, you're going to get straight to the point. I'm going to probably give you guys just a couple seconds. Command it, boom, ask them now. That fast. Okay, because I'm going to even tell you now, my, my wife has seen me do this many times. 
And I've been doing this a lot lately. When I pray for someone with a pain in their body, I'll just say, give me your hand. And I'll just stand there for a couple seconds, and then the pain will disappear. Why? Because I'm actually visualizing power being released and knocking that sucker out. That's what I see. Now, do you have to do it that way? No, but it helps me. You get what you believe. You guys get that? You could visualize. My, my wife's more of a picture person, so she likes to visualize things. If that helps you, by all means, do it. If you don't want to visualize, don't. Okay? But speak it. Remember, there's different ways to heal. Touching, words, right? But it ultimately comes from faith. That's it. Okay? I said, well, let's continue. So what that thing is that you'll, you'll ask them, right, the moment you command that sucker to be healed, then you'll say, okay, now what? Check, did you feel anything? Sometimes I ask them, did you feel any heat? Did you feel any tingling? Did your pain go away? Then you measure, right, because it was a pain level eight. Then you see, is it pain level two now? Okay, we'll do it again. Then you do it until it reaches zero. So that's what you do. You just compare. Then what do you do after? Just praise God, man. Amen? Amen. You guys ready? Okay. Now, how many of you guys here uh, need prayer for healing?